Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, team is mad. I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Good morning. John PL, PR Radio Network. Of course, a reminder, just tweet at me at John underscore PL. We'll keep the discussion interactive. Of course, I always reply to all the tweets during the duration of my show, no matter what time it's broadcasting, whether it's, you know, Saturday from 10 to 12, it's regular slot time or any of the replays that can be heard throughout the week on the MTR Radio Network. Don't forget to tap the app. You know, if you don't have the uh, the app on your mobile phone, your iPhone, your Android device, don't forget to, of course, download it. This way you can listen to the program and on the station. Uh, you kind of take it with you, listen to it on your phone, listen to it in your car, the whole thing. Um, got a jam-packed show today. I got a ton of guests that we're going to have on the show. Of course, you know, you listen to the past ball show. Hopefully you guys enjoy the spots that I do with current and former Major League Baseball players. As we get into the new year, it's going to be a, a whole series of other guests that are going to be on the show. So just stay tuned and, you know, keep in touch with me social media-wise to the the upcoming guests on the show. But uh, I'm going to just get on a couple things and, you know, we're, you know, obviously leave the discussion up to you. Tweet at me at John underscore PL like we always do and we'll keep the discussion interactive, like I just said. But, uh, you know, the Mets go out there and make kind of a surprise. They end up signing Bartolo Colon to a two-year, uh, $20 million contract. And, you know, this is a... I, I, I think you have to look at it this way. If you are a critic of the Bartolo Colon signing and you say, hey, the guy's too old, uh, you know, he's overweight, yada, 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 I don't think you really, you really studied the stats of Bartolo Colon last year. And he's gradually gotten himself back into the game as far as being a top major league pitcher. Remember when he, he was a dominant pitcher with the Cleveland Indians, his breakout season in 1996 where he won 18 games after winning 14 games the year before. And then he had a series of good years leading to his 21 season in 2002 with Cleveland and Montreal. And then, of course, went in 21 games in 2005 and went into Cy Young in the American League for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And, of course, he fell off a little bit after that. A lot of it had to do with injuries. And, of course, he made the uh, comeback with the Yankees in 2011 where he ended up starting 26 games. I know he tired towards the end of the year, but it was kind of a breakout reemergence for him. But the last couple of years with Oakland, he's kind of established himself as a top pitcher. Now, the question is, how much more does he have left? But he had a very good season in 2012. Of course, he did have the 50-game suspension that he served 
for uh, you know, a violation of the league's uh, substance abuse policy, which obviously has to be factored in. Is he on steroids? Is he not on steroids? Yada, yada, yada. But last year was an unbelievable season, probably the best season he has had. And if you look at it ERA-wise, it probably was. I mean, you look, you know, you know he had a 293 ERA in 2002. Uh, he, his ERA last year was 265. He won 18 games. I know you don't want to make a big deal out about wins now with all those sabermetrics, the advanced stats, the whole thing. But here's a guy that pitched 190 innings, gave up 193 hits, walked just 29, and had 117 strikeouts. And you know, let me just put some numbers at you. You know, I talked about the 265 ERA, which obviously we all noticed, but you know, a WHIP of 1.166, which is phenomenal. The ERA plus, which is a stat that obviously breaks down the ERA with a unified ballpark, depending on where he ends up pitching in, is a 141. And a one one fifty is that of a Hall of Famer. A Hall of Famer has a one fifty one ERA on a you know on a consistent basis for their entire career. So Cologne was definitely up there. Uh, you give up uh, you know just over a hit an inning. Uh, obviously under a home run an inning. A uh, little bit over one walk per nine innings. One point four walks per nine innings pitched. Five point five Ks. A walk uh, strikeout to walk ratio of four point zero three. So, so those of you who want to criticize the signing of Bartolo Colon and say, hey, they just got a washed-up old pitcher, and, you know, same old Mets. Well, here's a guy that's coming off of a phenomenal season and maybe a reemergence. That's what the Mets are banking on, obviously. And you look at uh, you know, the way free agent pitching is gone. It's gotten pretty expensive. Why do you give him the second year, yada, yada, yada. But you know, here's a guy that, listen, if he's in the age 42 season, he gives you a solid year this year and maybe isn't the pitcher he was this year in 2015, it ends up becoming a bargain. And the Mets obviously weren't going to go out there and sign you know, a bunch of players or a bunch of pitchers to you know, long-term contracts for three to four years, which is what a lot of guys are commanding. Phil Hughes got three years. Ricky Nolasco got four years. Yes, the Mets will be interested in guys like that, but they're not looking to make long-term commitments to pitchers like that. So you know, getting Cologne on two years, yeah, probably you could have gotten him on one. But I don't think the Mets could have. And I think they did a phenomenal job there bringing in Cologne. But a ton of stuff to get into. We're going to talk a little bit more about free agency, a little bit more about John Pielli's Bases Empty blog, which, of course, you can find on johnpielli.com. Uh, of course, mtrmedia.com slash johnpielli, the whole thing. So uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But the first uh, guest I'm going to bring into the show is an interview that was absolutely fun to record. And I got a chance to speak with a guy by the name of Norman Berman. And Norman Berman was the ball boy of the 1947 Dodgers and obviously you know what we know about the 1947 Dodgers that was significant obviously the fact that Jackie Robinson broke Major League Baseball's color barrier and here was a guy who was you know a young a young player he was a little small to uh, I guess get noticed and scouted and signed you know by a big league team but you know he had tried out for the Dodgers he you know did everything he could to try to make the major leagues and end up bringing him in as the ball boy for what turned out to be the 1947 Dodgers so he talks about his experiences then and obviously you know the older man gets a chance to talk about how baseball was in that time and what it meant to be a young kid that aspired to be a baseball player at that time so hopefully you guys enjoy this spot it's a little bit of an elongated spot but you know you listen to man talk obviously he knows what he's talking about he was there and you know it's great to just you know be able to uh listen to somebody that was at, at you know in the stadium while Jackie Robinson was facing you know criticism in regards to uh you know opposition that didn't want to see him play whether it was teammates whether it was opponents whether it was fans whether it was just you know people just being you know mean back then like they were 
but you know to hear how he's able to deal with it and obviously uh norman berman's interaction with all the players that are around there so hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with norman berman who is the ball boy of the 1947 brooklyn dodgers Good afternoon this is john pielli and i'm here with the ball boy for the 1947 brooklyn dodgers and his name is norman berman norman what's going on man i'm doing very well though this is an, another honor that I never dreamed that I would ever get, <laughs> but it's wonderful. Now, of course, you, know, you can go back a long time with your baseball, and when you were when you were younger, obviously that was something you wanted to do. You wanted to be a baseball player, right? Yes, I was. I ate it, slept it, drank it, and I wanted to be a baseball player, a major league baseball player. And my father was very much interested in baseball. He used to uh, manage or coach in a sandlot games. And then when I told them I'd like to try out, you know, and, and learn baseball from the beginning to the end and find a position that I would like. And he said, sure, we'll do that. We can work with you. And then when I went to high school, I played for my high school team, and I played sandlot ball. And I told my mother and father when I graduated, I am going to try out for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But I want to tell you something. I'm not going to waste my life years and years and years when I know I'm not going to make the majors. I want to play until I feel that, I'm, that I can't make the majors and see what kind of an experience I can get. So they said, well, that's fine, you know, and it sounds okay to me. But my biggest problem was I just wasn't big enough. Uh, I was tall enough, but I couldn't weigh enough. And no matter what I did and what I ate and exercises, I was still the same short guy. And not that much played on me, but I, I loved the game. And I tried my best. Now, when you were playing, when you used to play sandlot ball and stuff like that, did you notice that you were, like, noticeably shorter or smaller than a lot of the players you were playing against? Yeah, mo most of the guys were bigger than I was. But, you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, I played sandlot ball, and one time when I was playing in, in parade grounds in Brooklyn, you know, they had about 18, uh, 18 uh, baseball fields there. Nine on one side, nine on the other side. And they had stands where people could sit and, and watch the games, you know. Any particular one, my mother and father was watching one of the games that I was playing in the state in a uh, sandlot game, you know. And uh, I was playing second base. And my mother sat and father sat next to this scout. And he happened to say, uh, do you know any of the ball players? on the, the field there. But she didn't know he was a scout. She says, no, I don't know but one. She says, you know one player there? I, she said, yes, and I know my son. And she said, who is he? I says, and she said to him, look, I, I'd like you to see if the game is over, and you tell me who you thought had potential to be a better ball player or maybe you know, money in the major leagues or the minor leagues or what have you. It's sure. So there it was. If the game was over, I see that, that little guy playing second base, he looks like he's got a, a lot of spring and he looks like he knows what he's doing. He doesn't know whether he can hit so much, but he can run, he can throw, 
looks like he knows the game, he makes good double plays. He said, that, that would be a, a nice young fellow that I would like to follow. He said, well, that's my son, oh my God. He said, how nice that is. So that was one of the first breaks that I got. It, it didn't go very far because I still had to go through high school and all that good stuff. But I went for the first time just before, well, right after I graduated high school. And I went to a Dodger camp the year before, in 1946. And they signed me up and they sent me to Algosta, Georgia in 1946. I played there about a month. Then they moved me up to Maryland, Eastern Shore League. And I played there for a month. And then they released me and they told me, look, you go home and try to gain some weight and try to, you know, do some hitting now because you can do all the other things. You can run, you can feel, you can throw, you look like you know what you're doing when you're out there. So I said, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to the gym, you know, through the winter and try to build myself up. I can eat as much as I can, but that's the way it goes. So, to make a long story short, I did everything I could and I was invited to Pensacola, Florida. And the next year, in 1947, and uh, when uh, spring training there, it was an old army base, and Bert Sarton, Clyde Soupport, and uh, the other uh, third base coach were, were there. They were they headed the whole thing. That's when Bert Sarton started with the Dodgers, and that was the year. They didn't know it at the time that Leo DeRosha, you know, got suspended for a year. Well, anyway, uh, I tried out, and they came to me and said, Look, Norman, you gotta go, uh, you gotta go home and you gotta eat some more weight. You, you gotta learn how to eat better, and you gotta hit the ball better, and so on and so forth. So I said, Well, you know, you're making a big mistake. Because you could use a good Jewish ball player in a Brooklyn Dodgers. He says, You're right, but we'll take, we'll give you another shot <laughs> and see how you do it. I said, Okay, fine. That was the beginning of the story in 1947. I went home and went to work with my uncles. Yeah, during that time, once again, John Piazza was here with Norman Berman. Now, you know, as you as you you went through that time, and then, you know, they tell you, All right, they don't need you right now you know, to gain some weight and maybe come back next year. You probably think it at that point that it might be near the end, right, in regards to you playing baseball, you know, on a professional level? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I thought I would just do the best that I could so what would happen. And I was very lucky because Clyde Sookforth was a very nice man. And he said, look, Norman, I'm going to give you a little pass. But when the Dodgers are in town, you can come out and work out with them. And I want to see how you're, you know, how you're progressing in any way that I can't let you play, you know, and with all the players are having practice and so on and so forth. But we just want to keep an eye on you and tell us what we're doing. And of course, I was playing in the Sandlot team. And uh, it was a very good team, and, you know, I was having fun with something different. And uh, 
what the funny part was, when I was doing the second and third time, uh, Mr. Shackenbrook came over to me and said, Yo, you look very familiar to me. What, what is your name? I said, my name is Norman Berman. I, I met you in Pensacola, Florida, and I'm the guy that told you what we hear in the book of Rogers is a good Jewish prophet. He said, oh, I remember you. And how come you were going to have it? And I told him that Christ is thrift and you're just to work out. They want to keep an eye on me. He says, well, you know, that's, that's a very good thing. He said, well, you think it's find a job for you. I said, that's fine. Or about wait for 10 days later, my mother gets a telegram that I should report to the clubhouse that we're playing at St. Louis Cardinals. And I should report to the clubhouse at 5 o'clock because they want to check up and a job for you. So my mother said, why? Maybe they're going to give you a time with the book and glasses to let you play. I said, no, Mom. I think they're going to make so maybe peanuts about going to something like that. So I said, okay, I'm going to go down there at 5 o'clock and I had a report John Griffin over the clubhouse stand. And when I came in, I had the letter, so they let me all go through. And uh, I tell him who I am. He says, well, Mr. Scott says that you are uh, an honest boy. I said, well, you're not I'm an honest boy. I have got a very good job. He says, well, he's got a job for you, and he thinks that you would do good, and you probably would like it. I says, well, fine. Well, what do I have to do? He says, well, we had a boy here who was our poor boy, and he was stealing the baseball. And we caught him, and we fired him, and we let him go. And Mr. Shotton thinks that you would be a good poor boy. I said, you're going to make me the poor boy with the Brooklyn Dodgers. My God, that is wonderful. How much do I have to pay you? He says, you don't pay us anything. Pay me anything. We're going to give you seven dollars a game. You're going to give me seven dollars a game to be a poor boy for the Dodgers. My God, how wonderful they is. So, I had a Another man who was a fine, intelligent, 
here with Norman Berman. Now, Norman, when you know when you had first gotten a chance to meet Jackie, this was already into the 1947 season, right? The season had started already. It, it started, oh yeah. Yeah. So you had you hadn't gotten a chance to be there when uh, you know Jackie played his first game, right? No, I didn't watch him in the first game because I got there about two or three weeks after he started. Experience. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, when you when you get into that season and, you know, you touch on a couple important things. Pee Wee Reese was playing shortstop. Eddie Stanky was playing second base. So, uh, so, obviously, they had two very good ball players there. So, Robinson gets the chance to play first. Probably, probably a little bit out of position for him, but obviously because he was as good of an athlete as he was, he made the transition pretty easy. But when, you know, in regards to the, to the players on the team, you know, you mentioned there was a little bit of a divide, you know, initially, and after time, eventually the, the players kind of warmed up to him. I always wanted to ask about the fans, the Brooklyn Dodger fans, who have always been known to be supportive and obviously were for the most part. Were they as supportive really the first time that you saw uh, Jackie on the baseball field? Was there any divide within the crowd and the people that were there to see the Brooklyn Dodgers play? Once again, John Pielli here with Norman Berman, who's the ball boy of the 1947 Dodgers. You know, when when you're when you're on that field, I mean, you know, you had the chance, obviously, to see all the great players that play for the Brooklyn Dodgers, as well as the players that you know were playing on the other teams. Did did you get did you get a sense of the same type of warming up over time that you saw within the Brooklyn Dodgers with the other teams, the other teams that would come into you know to uh, Abbott's Field? Nice, you know, because they're 
Again, John Fiala here with Norman Berman. Now, after you know, after the 1947 season, where did you end up? You ended up getting drafted, or you know, you ended up getting a job. What did? No, I got, no, I got drafted in 1950. Okay. So I played in did you end up playing baseball for, Norman? for one second, you know, 1947, you know, you end up being part of, you know, obviously you're the ball boy that season. Was that like a, was that like a contract or a, a deal for one year? Like, were, were you able to come back the next year if you wanted to, or was it like a year-to-year -year basis? If I wanted to, if I, excuse me, if I wasn't drafted, it would have been fine. But I didn't want to play because I didn't want to play because I didn't want I'm 
you guys enjoyed that uh you know norman berman phenomenal phenomenal man obviously he's about 85 years old now was around you know a kid in 1947 when jackie robinson broke the color barrier and you know he told some great stories i tell you you know he's a little long-winded you know gets into it a little bit but if you just listen to some of the stuff he talked about i thought it was phenomenal and you know really a great part of baseball history that you just got to hear within the last you know a couple minutes with norman berman but what we're going to do is we're going to take a break i've got a ton more stuff to get into john pielli passball show mtr radio network remember tweet at me at john underscore pielli tap the app the whole thing we'll be back in a little bit hey i'm sean big daddy lynch I'm Joe Delisanti. And I'm Tim O'Brien. And And we're your favorite tailgaters. Listen to our show every Tuesday morning from 11 to 12 on NTR Radio. We'll tempt your palate with football, basketball, baseball, hockey, you name it, we got it. That's right, we do. We'll stir things up, voice what's grinding our gears, and just talk plain sports. We hold nothing back. Sports Talk Radio, are you ready for the tailgaters? You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. You're listening to MTR Radio. A flipping out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Oh, 
always covering the most current topics today, check us out on mtrradio.com. We will offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over 5.5 million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Welcome back. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the program here. What I'm going to do is a segue into another interview I recorded with a former Major League outfielder of several teams, including the Dodgers, the Detroit Tigers, Seattle Mariners, Oakland Athletics, and San Diego Padres from 2000 to 2007. He's also now an agent now, representing several players through, throughout an agency, which we'd be happy to talk about and let you, know, you guys know, you know the type of players that he represents now. And his name is Hiram Bocachica. And Hiram came up with the Dodgers in the early part of the 2000s, was actually drafted by the Montreal Expos in the first round in the 1994 draft. Um, spent several years as an outfielder, kind of a guy with a, a you know a little bit of speed, a little bit of power, but uh, was kind of a role player on several teams. Spent also a lot of time in the minor leagues and some uh, time in the Japanese league. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this interview with former major league outfielder Hiram Bocachica. Hey, good afternoon, it's John Pielli. I'm here with former major league outfielder Hiram Bocachica. Hiram, what's going on, man? Hey, how you doing, buddy? I'm just, uh, I'm just straight at home, you know, we're just having a little bit of time. Nah, I hear you, man. Of course, you know, I am. Of course, you got a chance to, uh, you know, play a little bit in the major leagues through, you know, the better part of the first decade of the 2000s. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started. You know, you ended up uh, coming up with the Dodgers, and of course, you know, you had some time in the minor leagues before that. So let's talk about, you know, the beginning for when you started out with the Dodgers. Well, yeah, I came out to the Dodgers in 2000, um, the year 2000, and, um, you know, it, it was a weird experience for me uh, to play with them, you know, uh, it was a uh, it was a you know, it was like, you know, veteran guys and a lot of superstars, and for me as a young guy, it was, you know, it was, it was pretty unbelievable for me to play with those guys, you know, uh, I, I was able to learn a lot from them, like, you know, from guys like Harry Chenfield, Cricket Rhythm, uh, Eric Carroll, and, and the little world, and, you know, and, you know, and, um, you know I was... Pretty, uh, I decided to be in the building, especially with the Dodgers, uh, a traditional team, and, uh, you know, I was 22 years old, so uh, can you imagine me playing, you know, can you imagine me playing with those guys, you know, for me it was pretty big. Yeah, no question, man. And uh, you end up coming up there after a couple of very good seasons in the minors, and you, know, you put up some good numbers in Albuquerque in 2000. You got your clear up for the bigs. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how you felt, you know, the first time you stepped on the field as a big league baseball player. Well, I still remember that day. Uh, I think it was a different day, but I, I, it, it was in Arizona. Uh, you know, I came up from Arizona from AAA, and you know they called me up through from the bases to pitch on. And I gotta tell you, my legs were shaking. <laughs> you know, uh, I was very happy about you being running the bases. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's a moment that every every baseball player uh, dream about. You know, to be in that in that you know that stage. And for me to be there, it's like he was like, you know, like I made it in my mind. I was like, you know, I, I made it. I'm here. I'm playing with these guys and. 
Yeah, and of course, you know, you spend a couple of years with the Dodgers. You end up bouncing around a little bit afterwards, but um, you know, you, you end up going to you know the Tigers, the Athletics. Tell us a little bit about those next years. You know, as you come up, you know, you're up with the majors, you're down in the minors. I'm sure at some point it had to be a little frustrating, kind of going back and forth, right? I got hit in my wrist and, and broke my wrist. 
And so uh, I ended up with a cast on my wrist. I remember they took me to San Francisco because we didn't have a game to play before they could start against, uh, against them. And, you know, I got Tim Maca come up to me in the outfield. And, you know, he told me that he was sad that, you know, that, that, that happened to me because I was making the, I, I didn't make the team that year. But, you know, I mean, you know, stuff happened to players. Um, I don't want to call it bad luck. I just want to call it, you know, like a bump in the road. Uh, for me, it was a bad thing that happened three times, you know, three years in a row for me, you know. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really get anything that happened in my career. Um, you know, I'm pretty happy about the situation that I was, and I, I'm happy because I did everything of my part. I did 100% of the time. I'm going to drop you out of here with former major league outfielder on Boca Chica. Now, you end up... Uh, you know, put, you know, going over and playing with the Cebu Lions for a couple of years down there. Well, you know, well, you know, first of all, you know, I guess it's a situation where you, you know, you got offered a contract. You know, you wanted to play. You know, tell us a little bit about your experience playing over in Japan. Well, 2008. You know, uh, I was the I was the Padres, and uh, they put me in a game a situation like, in other words, I, I feel at that moment I don't want to fail. Uh, I don't want to fail well. And, and, you know, you as a veteran, you start recognizing what's going on on you. You start recognizing what the teams are thinking. And I know what was going on. I know what was going on. So, uh, and it has the same way. I know that they're going to uh, outride me. And I know, that, I know that was the reason they pulled me that game, actually. So I can't, be, you know, I can't do that. They pulled me against an offensive right hand feature that day. I'm like, what I'm playing today? I always usually play lefties. But, you know, I was throw the game, and, and that's why I, I uh, I recognized and I realized that it was time to made it move on in terms of something else. So that's why I went to Japan in 2008. And uh, it, it was great, you know. It, it was where we won the whole game except the first year. Uh, we, I think they, they call it the Climax Series. I think we, we won the whole thing. It was almost like, it's like the World Series here in the States. And, uh, you know, I was able to have a great year. I hit like 260 with like 20 home runs. And, and I remember how many, like 40 something RBIs and just 230 at bats. So, uh, you know, I was able to uh, to contribute to that to that to that team and the championship. So, so to me, that was that was a pretty high uh, in my career, you know. And uh, I only I only went there for two years. Again, my second year, I hit my hamstring and I couldn't play as long as I could or I wanted. But you know, that's part of the game. So, um, but you know, it was it was a great experience. Um, the Japanese players are awesome. They uh, they have another mentality. Uh, they uh, they they can play ball, you know, as good as anybody in the state. So. Uh, for me, it was another challenge of my career, and uh, I really enjoyed the whole. I, I really enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, and I tell you, you know, it stands out. Obviously, you know, you kind of hit on it a little bit. You end up hitting a home run in the deciding game of the Jap Japan Series that year. Yeah, that must have been a pretty good moment, man. You know, you know, one of one of those, and you mentioned the you know climatic moment of your career to you know have a chance to contribute to a team that ends up winning the whole thing. Exactly. Well, yeah, it was it was Game Seven, Tokyo Dome. Uh, and I don't know if you've already been there. So I think it was back as hell. And, uh, and, you know, it was it was loud, and they were they were winning. And uh, I came up to the seventh inning and hit a home run, tied the game up. Uh, you can imagine, you know, uh, my, my you know my feeling, the feeling you as a player to tie a game in that situation. I come up big that moment, you know. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty exciting. It was pretty exciting. I have a great time there. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty grateful for the Japanese people. They treat me pretty well.
thrown around uh, all the time. So, uh, but you know, it was it was a great experience. Uh, like I tell you, we won the whole thing my first year, and uh, I was able to meet other guys there. And that's why it's, it's helping me out a lot with what I'm doing right now. You know, uh, I'm working as an AEO right now, and then, uh, with my clients that I have there, they helping me out a lot. So, uh, everything together has to be great. You know, for me to go there and learn and, and play, and now with what I'm doing right now, it's everything together. It's, it's helping me a lot. Yeah, now, you know, you mentioned about, you know, being an agent now. Was that was that something that you'd always considered doing, or was that something that you just thought about maybe after you were done playing and trying to think about what you wanted to get into? Did you have any prior uh, thoughts of wanting to be an agent? No, really, to be honest, no. I, I thought I was going to be coaching, because I loved it. I'm a hated freak. I was trying to learn and support the guys, and I always went to videos with all the guys, and, uh, and you know, like, great leaders and trying to, is what I'm seeing from other guys, you know, and I thought it was going to be, a, you know, I thought I was going to end up coaching somewhere, but um, then I realized uh, that, that, you know, I was like 35 years old when I retired, so I didn't, it didn't make any sense for me, though. You know, I, I think at that time I could keep, keep playing, and for me to coach at that age, uh, I still, you know, for me, uh, I was still good playing, though, so, you know, might as well just keep playing, you know, uh, if, when you start coaching, you ended up in the same, the same amount of time what you play, so for me, it didn't make any, any, any sense at that time, so, you know, but I'm grateful, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy, I'm enjoying uh, the opportunity that my, my boss uh, and my, my uh, former agent, Greg Jansky, is giving me right now, um, and, you know, it's one of the best companies out there, legacy agency, we have great players, C.C. Uh, Sabatia, Cole Crawford, Angel Pagan, uh, um, Jose Reyes, Johan Santana, and if I keep going, uh, I think we're going to be with you all, so, uh, you know, it's a great chance for me right now. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of guys that are talking about right now in my career. Yeah, no question. Listen, Hiram, I want to wish you the best of luck. Everything you're doing as an agent now, and keep up the good work, and I uh, appreciate you giving me some time. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your, for your time. Thank you for your, um, your interest in, you know, and talk to me. And I uh, just want to say hi to your fans and to everybody who's to us right now. And, Nice spot there, Hiram Boca Chica. I'm going to make, take a little bit of time to talk about maybe like a 30 seconds or so about the um, new rule which is proposed in Major League Baseball, which may outlaw the collisions between a base runner and a catcher going into home plate. I'm just going to tell you this, dude. You're going to tell me that the base runner is 100% at fault when there's a guy blocking the plate with equipment on, protective equipment, essentially like armor. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to slide into somebody like that? I think you do have to barrel into it. But we got another hour, a ton of stuff going on past Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Hopefully you enjoyed the program, and we'll be back in five minutes. Welcome to London. Welcome to Chicago.